Welcome, everybody, to the Fail Fast Podcast. With us today, we have a gentleman, father of three. He's a successful entrepreneur, and he also works for the Canadian government up north. Welcome, James Semple. How are you, James? I'm doing well. Thanks, man. How are you doing? Very good, buddy. So, listen, before we jump into failures or anything like that, I know you're a father of three. You have three boys. Two of them are twins, correct? Yes, yes, I have three boys. Uh, my oldest is five, Liam, and uh, the twins, Zach and Luke, they're uh, a little bit over two now. And they're the three of them together are a handful, but they're awesome. So uh, that's what I was going to ask. That is is very easy to have something like that and uh, take care of all three at once. Yeah, it's, it's a breeze. It's a breeze. Just ask my wife, yeah. <laughs> okay, James. So you are no, sorry sorry to, to say not that i don't i, I don't assist and, and get to to manage some of that it's just she she she's home with them now um so she 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 gets to deal with it on a, on a more regular basis so i know how hard it is to manage them and she knows far more than me how hard it is to to, to handle those boys but they're they're great wouldn't change it yeah, I don't know when you said it. I I caught on to that, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to segue into that, so I didn't put you on the spot. But I know yeah. I know you do a lot. So James, you work for the Canadian government. You're also a successful entrepreneur, and on your spare time, you run another business up in Fort McMurray, Alberta. That's right. Yeah. So do you want to tell us a failure? Is it in regards to any of those? Is it something previous? I, I have a few that come to mind. Um, I think uh, one that one of the early on failures, probably like my, I wouldn't say it's my first failure. I'd say that's somewhere around, you know, learning to walk, learning to stand, something like that. But uh, my one of my earliest career failures, um, more kind of entrepreneurial based would be when I was younger, I did a lot of construction. I've been in construction most of my life. I've, uh, ever since I was probably about 13, I used to work for, um, friends, parents doing renovations, things like that, building houses, pouring concrete, doing landscape and all that kind of work. Um, small town, small farm town. So that's generally, that's generally what you do. You either work at the grocery store in town or you work for a friend's dad who builds houses or something like that, right? So that was kind of how I grew up. And then you do some work on farms, local farms and stuff like that, like when it was hay season. But uh, so construction all my life and then which eventually led me to go to college for architecture because I kind of like that sort of thing, um, designing and building and how things go together. Um, so I want to say... Early on, I, I, I kind of wanted to do things for myself as far as construction went. I learned a lot from, from, from previous bosses and stuff like that. Uh, and I got a little factory job there for a while, and I wanted to do some, some, some of my own kind of construction-based stuff on the side. So I, uh, I, I got this uh, lined piece of paper, just, you know, ripped it out of a notebook, and I wrote, you know, kind of like side jobs or something like that. And I put my number, and I used scissors, and I cut the little tabs, and and hung it up, hung a couple of them up in the grocery store in town and hardware store and yada, yada, yada. Sure enough, I got a few phone calls, some small stuff. Um, and then I got this one project, uh, a lady in a couple towns over from mine, probably about a 45, 50 minute drive. Uh, she wanted a deck built and I'm like, you know, I can build a deck. I built so many decks before, so I can, I can do this. Um, 
and you don't really realize the knowledge that the people who were teaching you had that you didn't get to see that you figured they just kind of told you what to do in the morning and you, and, and you went to work and you did it and then they come back and they plan something else out. You didn't ever see the behind the scenes type stuff. So this was a, a good taste of that. So it was a second story deck, which I wasn't overly familiar with. So, um, but I did have some codes experience. So uh, I, I dug into the building code and I figured out what I had to do. And, and, and so I, I priced out this project. She had already had a price from a contractor. So I said, well, I can do it for a little less than that. And I priced out this project. She already had the materials. So I'm like, yep, yeah, I'll take it. I'll do it. I'll get it done for you. And, um, the first thing I had to do was dig holes, dig uh, post holes and put sonotubes in for pouring concrete and, and, and uh, to hold the weight of the weight of the deck, right? And there's quite a few holes because of the second story. So so that's what I, I dove into. And I, I had no money. I had no budget for it. I had no nothing. I just had a few tools, you know, what I didn't bore, what I didn't have, I borrowed off my dad or off a friend. And so I rented a auger, a post hole auger for these posts. And I found out what kind of solder tubes I need and so on and so forth. And I had a friend, I paid a friend cash to come and help me, help me dig these holes. And we get, they had to be four feet. Ontario building code is four. This is back when I lived in, before I lived in Fort McMurray, I lived in Ontario. And Ontario building code is four feet deep. They had to be four feet deep. So we got this auger, start digging down. It is in a subdivision. Uh, start digging down in the backyard. And sure enough, I'd say a foot down, boom, hit a big rock. So take the auger out, get a shovel, trying to get these rocks in. And these rocks turned out to be just massive, like, and buried and packed in clay from a dozer or something like that. And uh, so you dig one out and you get another six inches, boom, another big one. And by the end of the day, like, we were sweating, like, my hands were bleeding. And I had only made it down an average of 18 inches to two feet in each hole. And uh, so I... So I, I'm like, there's got to be something better. So I go back to where I rented the auger and they said, well, you get this digging bar and it was just a big, long metal bar and you can pry out those big rocks and stuff. Cause I was using a shovel. So I'm like, okay. So I returned the auger and got the digging bar and, 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 a, and a clam shovel. So then I get back and I dig out the big rocks that were in my way that were stopping me. And then I'm like, Oh, well now I don't have the auger anymore. So I can't dig the rest of the dirt. So I had to dig everything by hand with a, with a digging bar, a shovel and a clam shovel. And I had sent the friend that I got to help me home because I didn't want to pay him anymore because my profit margin was tiny on this little building a deck job. And, uh, and then, so that, so, now, so then I spent forever digging these holes by hand, hands were bleeding. I could barely lift my arms at the end of the day. And, and I got them done. I got them down to, four feet, pretty, pretty close. The inspector passed them. And, uh, so, and then it was, uh, concrete pouring time. So I bought bags of concrete and I load them down in the little car that I had at the time. I had a, an old Chrysler Sebring. And, uh, so I put a beat on that car pretty good, putting bags of concrete in the back. Uh, so I went to go pour these holes and it had rained all day before they were all full of water. Couldn't pour them. And it was taking longer and longer and longer. And I was doing it outside of my, my full-time job. So on weekends and the evening one at a time and spending all kinds of money. And it was, it was just, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was a ton of work, ran way over my budget, didn't make a dime. And 
it, it like way way time wise like way into the season it started to get cold by the time i got the concrete poured it was freezing and i had to like heat it and put put straw over top so they didn't so it would dry and it was just start to finish an absolute nightmare and it cost me money and it was my first big business failure and and it, it taught me a lot so where's the homeowner and meanwhile in stress and how is she she or he handling this she was i think frustrated but luckily she was understanding so she was a very nice lady and uh yeah i think she was she was understanding with me and 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 she was getting a smoking deal too because anyone would have <laughs> charged her far more than this foolish kid trying to do it all himself right yes. so so you ended up losing money but you learned this big lesson i'm guessing 100% yeah the the lessons were far worth the money i lost put it that way that's the beauty of it and you know um tony robbins often says that your biggest failure often is the best thing that ever happened to you yep yeah, I don't know if that is your biggest one or not, but sometimes. Well, I I have a question. Can I stop you there for a second, Quinn? Is how how do you know when you've hit the biggest one? Because well, it's the biggest, <laughs> the biggest one yet. But I'd say I've had I've had sorry I've had bigger ones, and I'm just I just don't know when I'm gonna have my biggest one. Because if I have any more ahead of me, I mean, they're gonna get bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually, well, eventually, do we stop failing or what? No, that's the reason why we want to fail fast. And fail fast means you're going to fail early before the snowball becomes something big. So you want to fast so you can correct that tra trajectory and see almost fail there with that word. And you correct <laughs> and then you, you go from there. So small failures is failing fast. Oh, okay. So now that... Uh, you don't have any of these big failures hopefully coming towards you because you're going to fail fast. Uh, what, is, uh, what is your life composed of now daily? What do you do for the Canadian government? Uh, I work in the roads department. I'm part of the management team in the roads department. And um, yeah, we just, you know, in the wintertime, we take care of the plowing. Uh, summertime, it's asphalt type work and, and uh, sweeping roads, street sweeping and, and things like that. So I uh, yeah I help with the planning and and I oversee the staff and and yeah it's a it's it's a good job I enjoy it it's uh it's interesting it's got change from season to season um yeah it's good that's uh that's my day to day and then as far as business goes we uh I we're a cabinet supplier the company's called Forest City uh we're a cabinet uh, supplier and installer so we've been helping out I don't know I mean with the you know the, you've heard of the rebuild up here. Um, after the big fire that we had a couple of years ago, so our companies helped it. With, our companies helped it with that uh, quite a bit. Uh, we've done, I think, somewhere between thirty and forty uh, rebuild homes. Um, done all the kitchen cabinets and the bathroom cabinets and things like that. So that's pretty good. And there's still a fair amount of burnt homes in the area. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I think they've had. I think. They've had, a, I want to say, a thousand housing starts out of, I've, I think the numbers were around 2,500 structures burnt, and they've had a bit of house, a thousand starts. So there's still lots to go, but 
I don't know if all of those will get rebuilt. Uh, there's all kinds of insurance issues where people bought up other lots to make their yard wider, all different things, right? So, so you want to touch on that story of what happened for the people that are listening that don't know what happened in your city? Uh, yeah, so in 2016, May of 2016, we had a super, super dry year. We didn't have much snow that winter. And, and coming around to um, late April, uh, we had some really dry, hot weather. Uh, forest fires are pretty common up here in the, in the boreal forest. Um, we're used to the smoke from fires far away and so on and so forth. And then um, it was May 3rd. 2016 that uh, a couple days prior to that a fire started just out the town by a kilometer and a half something like that and uh, it, uh, it they couldn't contain it I think a couple fires started at the same time they took care of the ones that were even closer to town closer to businesses and homes and things like that while they were doing that maybe the other ones got out of control anyways it was it was they were containing it for a couple of days and then it got out of control and it, it became a wildfire and uh, they had to evacuate all the entire city, 80 some thousand people, uh, almost 90,000 people I believe, uh, evacuated. Um, it was it was it was crazy. Uh, like I said, 2,500 structures I believe burned. Um, entire neighborhoods wiped out completely. Um, new neighborhoods, old neighborhoods. Uh, it was massive, massive fire. Um, so that was the biggest fire in Canadian history. I believe so. I mean, as far as fire damage to a, a city, I believe, yeah, it was, I believe it was the largest. I don't know about fires way out in the bush that didn't affect anything, how, how large those goes, but I, I believe it was one of the, and I believe it was up there on the, the biggest natural disaster in Canadian history as well. So, um, how they measure that, I think it might be a dollar amount, something like that, but I'm not too sure. I believe that's how it works, yeah. So how was it? Uh, it was a mandatory evacuation. So I guess that was an easy or a non-easy process to escape a town when 80,000 people are going through every single road. It was, it was insane. It was, um, uh, we, had the, we had the twins. They were about a, a month old, about four or five weeks old, something like that, when it happened. Uh, and I was at work and, and we were trying to get everything prepared. And, and then uh, my wife called and I said, just pack up the kids. I'll be home. So I went home. We got everybody packed up. And kudos to the, to the emergency services in town here because they took care of everything. I mean, they got everybody out safely. Um, uh, sadly enough, there was one uh, fatality that happened south of town. I believe it was the next day, something like that. Um, through a car accident that was fire related um, but uh, they managed it uh, as far as traffic in the city and stuff like that they managed it very very well um, they split the town someone up north to the work camps and stuff to kind of avoid while they were while they were while they were taking care of things and while the fire was kind of ripping through and then they moved them kind of south uh, of town so half went north half went south and and all the other communities surrounding down towards uh, Edmonton and that uh, took everyone in and, and, and yeah, gave people places to stay. It was, it was quite the ordeal. And, uh, yeah, very surprising that, uh, there was only one, uh, casualty. That's very surprising actually. Yeah, it was. I mean, sad as it is. Um, yeah. Our things, things are back to normal now. It's been, it's, it's been two years, right? 
Yeah, as far as as far as I mean, life goes around here. For I mean, my home wasn't affected, so I mean, and there's many homes that weren't affected, and life seems normal. I'd say for those who still are displaced, who haven't had their phone or for their haven't had their home rebuilt, uh, things like that, I wouldn't say things are normal for them. But as far as the town as a whole, I'd say the the feeling's very much normal um, to where it was pre-fire. And. Everybody came returned to to the city. All eighty thousand. If was that the total amount of people living there? I believe it was. It was in between eighty and ninety thousand. Yeah, and everybody returned. Yeah. Well, I don't know if everybody returned, but I mean, everyone was able to return afterwards, and and I think the population may have have, have dipped a little after that. People kind of find different places, or or just just mom coming back, or dad coming back to work, and the family staying elsewhere, south of town, something like that. As these people return to town, that's how they're contacting you because they need their homes rebuilt or their kitchen rebuilt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're um, they're they, generally it's builders. The builder will contact us and 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 we'll go in and we'll quote the house and we'll do the cabinets and stuff when they're ready. I've also seen the trucks that go and sweep the roads, and then there's another truck that comes and washes the road, which is really really nice to see. Uh, that's also you're the same department that does that yeah yeah the crew's doing an awesome job up here keeping the streets clean for sure yeah it's pretty pretty cool actually i enjoy seeing that uh because i lived in europe 25 years and i i never saw that for for one where i lived in portugal there was no snow so there's no snow clearing the the country doesn't own snow plows if there was sand on the road i guess the sand would stay on the road that's kind of the deal yeah so I think we'd be in the same position if we didn't put all the sand there. So living up in a northern climate, we use salt and we use a lot of sand. So because after a certain temperature, salt doesn't doesn't have any um, any effect on 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 the on as a de-icing material. So it's got to be sand. So sometimes you mix sand and salt, sand and calcium, but it's it's a lot of sand just to create grit until we get warmer temperatures and can peel it off. Gotcha. So pretty much the sand that you're cleaning is actually the sand that you guys put there yourselves to... Exactly, yeah. Okay. So now a question that I have that I normally uh, haven't asked before, and that's something that I learned recently is, what is something that I should have asked you and that I didn't get? I guess this is a question that kind of puts you in the spot a bit maybe it is something i shouldn't use in the future <laughs> <laughs> i um actually if there is uh there's one thing that i didn't mention myself and i don't know if you should ask me but uh along with my job and my uh and my uh business i am aspiring to start a podcast as well and i would even chalk that up to probably a failure as you know you and i've talked about it but uh i i I had this idea for the podcast quite some time ago. I bought the domain names. I, I started the Instagram page, the whole nine yards. Um, but uh, I, I have a podcast idea for a, for a podcast about partnerships, about business partnerships, um, getting into the nitty gritty details of, of, of what certain partners do and some, you know, bickerings and stuff like that could, could be a little bit of drama. It could be some good pointers and stuff for those who are in business. I'm a big fan of business partnerships, so uh, our, our curtain business is a is a partnership. So I do have that, and it, I call it a failure because I should have 
started it already. I got the groundwork laid, and I haven't I haven't put anything on uh, on on audio or video yet. So. And we did talk about that, and I think the idea is fantastic. Where you want to interview companies that have partnerships, right? And you talk about those partnerships. Absolutely. And what is so you you already the good, the bad, and the ugly. You already have the domain. So what is what's the domain going to be? It's the Partnership Podcast. That's it. Pretty straightforward. That's a great name. Yeah. And like you said, I'm gonna, I want to interview partners. I want to talk about my own experiences in partnership. Um, you know, partnerships that went bad, if I can just get one side of it and why, things to look out for, things to stay on top of as far as if, you, if you're looking for a partner, if you're in a partnership or those types of things, strengths, weaknesses, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but it's, I got to get it wrong. Now, maybe, maybe we have something that can help you out because our, our audience is growing episode by episode and we're growing super fast. So guaranteed there's going to be entrepreneurs out there that have partnerships. Maybe someone can contact you and, and get the interviews going and get you to pull the plug on this. So yeah. where can they, how can they find you? Uh, I've got the, the partnership podcast, uh, Instagram page. Uh, I believe it's at, it's, I'd have to double check, but, uh, if you can put it in the show notes, once I send it to you, it's, it's part, because I haven't started it yet. I haven't used it a whole lot, but, uh, it's the part, I think it's partnership podcast on Instagram, uh, Facebook page as well. And, uh, yeah, that's where they can, if they send a message to that, then I, then I have no choice, but to get things rolling. Okay. Now, James, for books, I know you, you read and you hear audiobooks as well. So what is one of the books that has influenced you the most? Oh, that's tough. That's tough. I want to say one that comes to mind because it's more recent, uh, would be, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad made me think completely different about money. Um, especially the, the stuff about, um, uh, assets versus liability. You know, that stuff of, 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 you know, everybody saves up for that, that first home or whatever it is. And that, that, that first home is a liability. So you're saving all this money and you're getting prepped and you're taking a loan out for a liability versus if you did that for an asset that's going to pay you, then you, you continue to do that. Then your liabilities, it all kind of falls into it. Like you just pay for your liabilities out of that, that money that you created, you created money through an asset and then you and then you use a bit of that money for liabilities things that you need in life and and then and use the rest for another asset and then it's just like and then you're as your assets grow that pool of money that you have for liabilities things like that's kind of how I, I i grasped it that pool of money for liabilities grows and grows and grows and then and that's how you kind of create wealth um another one uh that also big influence uh, was the alchemist uh, it was a small book, a friend of mine, uh, just, just handed it over to me at work one time, said, check this book out. I wanted to, it was actually, I wanted to get back into reading and I asked, you know, he read a lot at work and, 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 uh, we, we worked in the oil fields and he was just kind of like pump watch. So he'd just read in the truck and go check gauges and stuff like that. So he fired me off this book and, and, and it was awesome. Loved it. Paulo Coelho is great. He's, um, that's actually a Portuguese name. He's Brazilian. Brazilian Portuguese and okay I, I have asked them to be on the show so I haven't got a yes yet but I'm hoping yeah. so awesome. Paul Coelho the alchemist is very good he just launched one uh, recently I believe a week or so ago the hippie and so that's something to look forward as well a new book from him 
Awesome. I'll have to check that out. James, so we want to leave one piece of advice that you want everybody to, you know, get into their heads. What What would it be? I mean, it, 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 sticking with the theme of failures, uh, just just shoot for them, I guess, is, 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 I don't know, just realizing that you, just, I guess when you, when you get that failure, because you're going to get them whether you shoot for them or not, whether you fail fast or you fail slow, failures happen in life. It's, a, it's, 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 it's inevitable. So just when you get them, learn from them is, is the biggest thing is, is don't, don't, because when you get those failures are, are, I think our initial reaction is to blame others. So then it's not like it was a failure. It's like the system failed or the government failed or my boss failed or my coworkers failed or the workers who work for me, they all failed and somebody else failed. And then, and then it doesn't have to feel like a failure for you. So then you don't learn anything. You learn nothing other than to blame people when you, when you slip up. So own your failures, own them and, and, and move on and learn from them. That's, that's really, really good. I love that because the fact that people actually do that and they have to blame something or somebody every time. It, uh, and I just, I know I relate to that because I did that for many years. And when you manage to actually get away from that and know that if something failed and failure A, failure B, failure C, you look and see what is the common denominator in this and it's you. So yeah. the universe, it was not, you know, it wasn't the Canadian government that didn't clean the roads. It was you, you were going too fast. That's kind of, yeah. Yeah. And when you do realize that, it's an awesome, awesome thought that you, you, that's when you realize that you can fix things. You don't have to. That, you, you, when you can take control of those failures and take ownership of those failures, then it's like, it's a, it's a feeling like then you're in control of your life. But when you blame everything else, you're not, you lose control of your life completely. So I think it's, it's when you own those failures, that's like, okay, I did that. I failed, which means, in turn, that I'm actually in control. That happened because I failed. So what can happen if I don't fail? What can happen if I continue to fail and learn from it and then learn to succeed, right? So it's, it's yeah, that's the thing. That's the game, man. Absolutely. So James, now, uh, now as soon as the interview is over, are you going to eat a pound of bacon for your keto diet? <laughs> you want to talk about failures? I'd say that's a weekly to bi-weekly failure as far as, trying to stay on this keto diet although when i did succeed prior to my wife and i we went to vegas last august and we did it for we did keto for probably a month prior and i felt fantastic like energy levels i wasn't starving all the time i even made it through most of the trip in vegas without you know falling off the wagon and eating sweets like i do like crazy so um i will not be eating a pound of bacon today no, uh, I try to stick to other fats if I can, although I still love bacon. I'm going to eat it, lots of it, but uh, <laughs> no, I will not be, to answer your question, no, I will not be eating a pound of bacon today. <laughs> Very good. Very good. James, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure having you here on the podcast. And uh, I, well, uh, of course, we're going to keep in touch and we're going to keep on talking. Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate being on the podcast. It was a, it was a pleasure. Pleasure was all mine. No problem, buddy. I'll see ya. Have a good one.